join Aaron and his guests as they spin yarns and tell tales from the tap room. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the very first episode of Tales from the Tap Room. This is a specialty podcast brought to you from the people that made D&D Valiant Odyssey, and it is a tribute to all of our patrons. So if you are a person who is listening to this, yes, we mean you. We thank you so much for all of the financial support that you've been giving our community so far. And this one goes out to you guys. Thank you so much. And enjoy. All right. Welcome to the very first episode of Tales from the Tap Room, guys. Tales from the Tap Room is our official companion show to the D&D Valiant Odyssey podcast. Today, I have some very special guests with me, and this uh, guest list will be rotating. It will contain some cast members, but also maybe some some fans. If you guys reach out and want to be on the show and you're local to us, you can come in and have a little chat behind the scenes as well. And the purpose of this is just to answer some fan questions, to give you a little peek behind what it's like to run a Dungeons & Dragons game, what it's like to... Uh, run a game with your friends, what it's like to build a character and have them flesh out over a season, and just some general tomfoolery about uh, you know playing D&D and having fun. Every time we run one of these Tales of the Tap Room episodes, the cast is going to have a little side quest, which is going to go alongside the quest of talking about these episodes. And my people here are looking at me like, what the heck are you doing? Um, but before I get into that, we might do a little bit of introduction so you know who you're hearing. And we'll do it in the traditional fashion where you guys will roll a d20 to see who goes first. And we'll say your name, the character that you play. And let's start off with what you're drinking right now and a TV show that you've watched most recently. 15. 13. Okay, now I'll roll. I've got a 17. So you got a 13. Brian, you're up first. <laughs> I'm up first. Excellent. Alrighty. Well, you are listening to the fine voice of Brian. In the episodes, I play Beargrum, uh, the Eldrin uh, rogue. Uh, what am I drinking? I have actually kind of on my way in. I, I, I'm on my motorcycle, so I couldn't really pick up a takeaway coffee. But there is a shop in town that does a bottled cold brew with uh, like a milk cream. And it's delicious. It looks like a beer bottle. So it's, it's great. Mm. I'm also a school teacher. And to have one of these in the staff room. Yeah. Um, yeah, you get a few looks. Mm, especially when you come in like you did here and you asked for a bottle opener. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, does anyone have a bottle opener? <laughs> yeah, it's not a twist. You got to pop it. That's it. That's it. And what about you yourself, Mr. So, Mustard? Yeah. So I'm Michael and I play Drew Ede on the podcast. Uh, and I have in front of me a caramel latte from the Macca's drive through Not sponsored. <laughs> but <laughs> open to it. Yeah. You can't really fuck up a caramel latte, can you? <laughs> no, like, you, just, you just add more caramel and it tastes better. Yeah, it exactly. doesn't matter if the coffee's bad. You just taste the caramel. Yeah, yeah you counteract it with sweetness. Uh, and I'm Aaron. I'm your Dungeon Master, host, and uh, general good guy of D&D Valiant Odyssey. And I am drinking a instant coffee from my home mug because that's what my parents drank, and I guess that's what I like. I don't know. That's conditioning at its finest. Everybody tries to convert me to the, gr- the grounds, like the grind your coffee and you drip it through, but yep. never done. Yeah, if I got time, make it at home. Yeah. Yep. That's a breast machine at home. Mm-hmm. Got to make the good stuff. That's it. And sometimes this will take me two minutes to make, and that's literally all the time I have between waking up and needing to leave for work. So it's perfect. Um, and what shows have you been watching? I'll go first with this one. Last night I watched the new episodes, and this will give you guys a bit of a time about when we're 
recording this, the new episodes for season two of Vox Machina. Have you guys seen oh, that yet? No, no, I have not. not. Have you seen season one? Sure have. Mm, mm. Season one was pretty strong. And the ending, I was really excited to see the Chroma Conclave come through. I have some mixed feelings about it. Like, I'm often cautious when it comes to like traditional like drawing animation and then mixed in with computer animation because sometimes it just doesn't fit well and i think it, it had a lot of talking back to before we were recording like the sinbad movie the dreamworks movie you yeah. know that had some animation in it looks a little bit like that in terms of um the dragons and i, I all every time i hear a character that matt mercer voice in the show and it's not voiced by him i'm like oh but, you know, he can't voice everything. <laughs> no, that's fair. <laughs> yes, he yeah. can. Yeah. He probably could have, but he it's it's weird, man, because he's um he's like the brains behind it all, but he gets the voice parts of like City Watch member three. And you'll just like you'll pick him out and you'll be like, That's him, that's him. <laughs> <laughs> I half he's, expected him to be the dragon, but he wasn't. He's, he's doing the Stan Lee thing kind of thing where he just kind of pops in as yeah. extra number four. Actually, that might be exactly cameos, what he's yeah. doing. The cameo is building yeah. his empire. What about you guys? What have you been watching? Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, you just, just watched go. the first episode of The Last of Us that's Ooh. just come out. That's, that is on my bucket list, yeah. Ooh. I won't, no, no giveaways, no spoilers because it's just come out and it, it is very good. How, like you've played the games, obviously? Yes, 100%. How does it compare? Because I've seen photos on Facebook where it's like... Side by sides? Yep. Incredible. Yep. Mm. Detail, what they've put into it, the thought process, like they, they have yeah, done their research. Yeah. Fantastic. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> no Pe- Pedro Pascal as Joel, when they cast that, I was like, that's just fucking perfect. Really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love, love, love him and everything. Mm. I'm always a little bit behind the time. So basically, yep. uh, we watched a while back, we watched Wednesday after everybody else had watched Wednesday. And now mm. we're actually watching Yellowstone. So oh, everybody else is kind of cruising right. through Yellowstone. So I think we're just finishing season two. Something like that. So basically, oftentimes, my wife and I, we've got one hour show and one half hour show on the go at any time. Yep. yep. And we just watch it through. And it depends on how much time we have. We'll just right, watch we'll one or the other. You got it. I like that. Yeah, uh, and then we, we don't like mixing having eight different shows on the go at one time. We'll just watch all the way through one. Yeah. So Which, your brain's in the same space all the time. You got it. So. Yeah. How good was Wednesday? Fantastic, oh, it was right? very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, there was, there was a, I saw that one of those like nine square things, basically like the lawful good, chaotic, and whatever, and actually had all nine characters on there, basically yeah. kind of all the way through the uh, spectrum. That. I was That's like, really that cool. was awesome. But they actually had Wednesday right in the middle of basically kind of, uh, was it true ne- neutral? True neutral. Yeah. With the Yellowstone, who's your favorite character? It's a toss up. Beth just pisses me off. Yeah. Um, she grows on you though. She yeah. Really like, does. I, 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 like a now, fight of spirit just now, comes now through. Now, near the end of um, season two, basically, uh, can I do spoilers? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Spoiler. Spoiler alert. Basically, when Rip is shot and you kind of start seeing some of the, um, her kind of a little, her tender side mm. towards Rip. And you're like, oh, okay. All right. All right. I can see something happening. Yeah. But um, now it was at Casey's pretty awesome. Yeah. I do enjoy him. Casey's and, and, a big uh, fan favorite, I think. And the, uh, the young Tate is, he's, he, uh, he's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. He's good too. My, so, my favorite is obviously Rip. Yeah. He's I just, think you, you mentioned that a while yeah, back. I yeah. I put it all over yeah. Twitter and Facebook and things like that. But yeah. So that's what we've been doing, guys. Uh, if you're listening to this, make sure you put in comments what you guys have been watching and listening to as well, because, you know, we all like to talk about that stuff. All right. So let's get into it, guys. The little side quest that I was talking about. This is a little mini game called Cunning Linguists. Now, I'm going to give you pieces of paper with random words on it. And these words are not words that you'd pick up in everyday conversation, you might say. And the definition of these words are written down below. I haven't looked at all of these because obviously I've got my two and you guys have got your two and you'll have two to seamlessly slip into conversations that we have about these episodes without the rest of us knowing. Now, if you win, 
and you get both of your words into a conversation without us knowing, then you get 10 points to put on the Valiant Odyssey leaderboard. The person who's at the top of the leaderboard at the end of our first season of Tales from the Taproom will get an excellent prize that I haven't even thought of yet. And these words are to be kept secret. And if a person around the table, whether it be Brian, Michael, or myself, says one of these words within the conversation, you'll hear this sound. If they are discovered, you'll hear this one. And the idea is to do so as seamlessly as possible. If you're caught out, you can accuse somebody of saying, is that your word? And you have to be honest. Are there any questions about the mini side quest game, Cunning Linguistics? Can I get new words? You cannot. Do <laughs> <laughs> you want to swap? No. All right. So, guys, Valiant Odyssey, episode one of season two, entitled The Road Less Traveled. It is one of the episodes featuring the Crown Killers, which means it is Drew, Shavi, Key, and Jusui. Michael, you're actually one of the stars. I was there. You lived there. it. It happened. <sighs> What's it like listening to it later on after you've played it? I'm not sure if everyone feels this way, but I know how much like you almost dislike the sound of your own voice, mm. but it, in there, when you're playing it on the go and you think, wow, that's a great decision and the, what you're doing, yep, this is going to be great. And you look at each other and you're just in agreement. This is the right thing to do. Listening back so many times, you're just like, we are so dumb. What were <laughs> we thinking? The, within the first five minutes, we split the whole party. I, I was actually going to note that as well. Like D&D rule number one is, you know, most of the time, don't split the party. You guys got into immediate trouble and you guys were like, split up, yep. just go. And um, for me, planning that was like, I, I had a, a few different options for that sort of scene. So if, you, if you're not familiar in the first episode, the Valiant Odyssey building actually exploded. And if you're walking away from an explosion without it sort of seeming to bother you, you kind of draw the attention of some of the law enforcement people. So these Griffin riders saw them, decided to ask them some questions, and when they went to descend upon them to do so, what did they see? They saw the three of them absolutely split up. So that, <laughs> that just screams innocence, if you know what I mean. So <laughs> these three Griffin riders followed each one of the crown killers at this point. They followed Shavi, Jasui, and Drew through the city streets of Cadmia. But for me, what I had planned for that was... I, I aforementioned the fact that you'd seen Delnak sort of going around the side um, after he sort of exploded the the building. And I was like, there could be a possibility that they'll go and track down him. There could be a possibility that they would escape and run and there will be a chase sequence activated, which is what happened. But I planned for you guys to be together. So, <laughs> yeah. so instead of running one chase sequence, I had to run three. And I feel like it came off pretty well. But in terms of that chase, I thought it was a really good way to actually start the episode because... You know, starting in the action is something that you really want to do, draws in the audience as, as best that you can. And all of you kind of hit it in unique ways. You kind of used each of your skills as best that you possibly could to to avoid all the obstacles for it. So I really like that, Chase. And it was, it was actually, it didn't come off that you were kind of almost ad-libbing some of it kind of thing. It yeah. actually was pretty seamless and kind of worked together. And yeah, as you said, mm. basically each of the characters had their strengths that they actually worked with yeah. to kind of get away. Yeah, so Drew obviously turned into something small to squeeze in between the uh, the the kegs and things like that, and Shavi started climbing up buildings, and just we was running across rooftops, and in, in, like behind the screen a little bit, I had like a roll table, and every like the obstacles that you would face throughout, and I just sort of made a generic roll table, but I had to sort of split it because instead of you guys rolling a d12 for all of you, I was just like, okay, the top four is Drew, the middle four is Shavi, the last four is just sweet, just so you wouldn't get any repeats mm -hmm. and it seemed like the city is actually living around you. 
but I also found that you guys have a like a party dynamic, I guess you could say, where when you split up, you guys were like, are we going to the night or the duck? And for you guys, that that means like locations in the city and like that's just the sort of party that you kind of run. Like you guys have these these plans and ongoing stuff that not many people know about. Do you want to talk about that, Michael? Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, the I guess the easiest way to explain that is we know that if we don't do a lot of prep beforehand on trying to survive, that Aaron will destroy us 100%. <laughs> with love, though. With love. <laughs> <laughs> just, we, we know going into you know just some of the things that either are coming up or that we have done, that that's important. We obviously want to play to our strengths and that, that kind of like example, Shavi, like he can deal out some massive damage, but you know, being the halfling and being super sneaky, if he can't pull that off, then you know, that completely that lowers his sort of total output by a little bit. And Jesse being a, you know, a gunslinger, if he's at the front of the group, that sort of thing, that can be a problem too. So we, we try and, yeah, I guess work out how we play to our strengths and we almost come up with little, We've got a few little strategies that we've named or have code words for. So that way it, it also saves time in game. So we don't have to like almost explain every single little thing that's going on or, hey, what are we, how are we going to do this, guys? It's instantly cool. We, we know what each other's doing prior to that. So I think that helps with some of the, the sort of the flow or the synergy. Mm. I think for everybody else listening as well, it's, um, it also gives the impression that you're a group of travelers that have been together for a while. Like mm-hmm. you have that kind of uh, togetherness you might say, for things that you've gone through in the past. So as you guys were going through this chase, I also felt like it, um, because Lullaby was actually at the table, the guy that plays Key, and he doesn't feature in that episode until a little bit later, like he doesn't come in until half an hour through the episode after you guys have finished that chase and gotten yourself back to safety and realized, hey, we got to get out of town because we're being accused of this and obviously that's all fallen into Delnak's plan and then the the like the griffins were coming towards you and they were hitting you with volatation and everything was just crazy basically mm-hmm. so when you guys actually decided to escape and there was that craziness happening lullaby was just sitting there going okay because he was new to the crown killers he's like what have i gotten myself <laughs> into here yeah. but then as he sort of came into the party a little bit later on he was actually coming back from a little bit of a backstory moment that he mm. talked to me about prior. So he was walking across this lonely road, the only one that he had ever known. He was, <laughs> he was like down in the dumps and the slavers were, were coming to get him. Like he didn't know there were slavers at the time, but he interacted in that way and he kind of seamlessly fit into the party as you guys mm. came in. And that was a blessing for me because it's really hard to connect characters because you're kind of relying on what you give them and for them to feed back on that role play. But you guys did it really, really well. Do you do you want to comment on that, Brian, in terms of how just sweet and key sort of came together in that first episode? What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, well actually that's um that's something that's kind of really impressed me in in that second episode and, and just the the interaction between just sweet and key was was really cool, Carthy, about oh I I smell that's what do I smell, Carthy? I'm using yeah. my my cat senses and uh, like it just kind of it was a very natural fit, natural, and then basically yeah, Drew kind of coming out of the trees, just kind yeah. of merging out of the trees, and Shavi being like, "Hi, mm, yeah." It was kind <laughs> um, of like, like it was it just we was the cautious, and then Shavi uh, and Drew yeah, were just like, yeah. a, "Oh, a friend," <laughs> especially so, him being animalistic. Like you, you'd see that Drew loves these animals exactly, so. and it's one of these things. Like it was actually oh, it was a very similar thing. Uh, both of the Tabaxi's in in the Valley, obviously, basically Key and Felix, like the way they describe what they're doing. And like basically Lullaby and uh, Brash, the way they, they, they describe kind of their, their 
fight sequence, their role play actions. Their inner monologue too, like the way that they're thinking and feeling about something. Like you can picture it vividly in your mind exactly what's going on just by what they're saying kind of thing without any of like, and then yeah, you just kind of embellish it a little bit more and it's just like. I think that's like, especially in combat for a monk, it's it's very easy to say, I'll use flurry of blows and hit him twice. Like that's kind of. That gets old after the seventeenth time you do it. You know, so <laughs> it's very good that there's sort of talk about you know a roundhouse kick or a, or a punch under yeah. the chin or, or a I'm, I'm flipping backwards over my head exactly. to get on the other side of a jiffy. Yeah. and mm. you're like, what? and that that takes off from me as well because you know combat is something, especially in a podcast setting. Like combat is fun when you're playing it around the table for mm. everybody there, but when you're listening to it, it can easily fall into that system of this turn, this turn, this turn, this action, this action, this action. It gets very stereo. Yep. So um, I think having that stereoscopic view is just the best way to to approach that that sort of combat is taking it into lots of different angles of anticipation. Drew, your character loves to tell a bit of a joke. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> Some of them might be considered dad jokes, I would say. Possibly. I yeah, mean, like, yeah. look, I, I think the one that you say in the first one is like, what's a rogue's favorite position or something like that? <laughs> And they, they like doing it from behind. So, yeah. so where did that sort of character element come from for you? Like what was that sort of thought process when you were creating Drew? Yeah, definitely wanting to keep it, or obviously keep it clean first because, mm. you know, IRL, all the jokes I tell are just absolutely the exact opposite from that. So mm. uh, it was more, yeah, thinking, work out where Drew's from, why is the way he is, and definitely, you know, being, a, I guess, a lighthearted sort of individual. How would he act or how would he think? And not having a huge amount of, I guess, social interaction prior to all the events happening with the Valiant Odyssey. What, what, what does he, I guess, he can't go in and be as charismatic as Jusui, who's 300 years old and good with the ladies and that, that kind of thing. So I think almost he, he could either be a bit shy or he's not sure how to handle it. So he just, his brain might just go to, oh, maybe I can tell a joke and then people will like me kind of thing. So mm. It's kind of like that kid mentality. You know how you get kids come up to you all the time and they tell you a, a knock knock joke or something, and it's absolutely lame. But you know, you give them that hearty laugh, and <laughs> <laughs> like it's that sort of comfort, I guess. And he he might having not been around people so long, but um, like that might be something that he's sort of fallen into. But I think it's a good um, well, and good they, character. Element. And they, the response from like just where you're Shavi sometimes kind of thing to your jokes is like, oh yeah, exactly. It's, it's, the, it's the same response that like a lot of the audience would probably have, and yeah, you're like, like okay, with a smile on the face. Yeah, it's, as it's, well. it's a true response kind of thing, not mm. just some weird scripted thing or yeah, yeah. It, i think um kyle does a good job as just we in the second episode when he actually hears one of your jokes around the campfire and that was after you've escaped the city and you've been sitting around for a long time and you just tell this joke and he just he was as you were telling he's like nope nope nope, nope. <laughs> and i think that <laughs> kind of gave the impression that you know you guys had been sitting there for ages he'd heard so many of these before and in character kyle was able to just sort of play that off and i think that was a really good element as well because you three, like the three, like Crankula, Shavi, Drew, and, and just we, you guys just sort of play off each other really well. And fun fact for everybody that doesn't know, like Michael, who plays Drew, and, and Maddie, who plays Shavi, they're brothers. And um, and Kyle, who plays just we, actually didn't even know them before we actually started playing. So that connection sort of developed hard and fast, which is, which is good. One thing I do want to talk about is is Key and his dice rolls. How do you guys feel about it? What are your initial comments on that? What? I think I think it's hilarious because he either rolls ones or twenties. There is no one between. <laughs> that's the true. Key. Yeah, yeah, that's a- it. And it, it makes for good role play. Mm. It yeah. puts him in some uh, like some sticky situations. Like when he was actually <laughs> getting taken by the slavers in the first episode, he rolled very poorly. 
like he rolled a very good insight check on the woman, oh. uh, Tristabel, that came towards him. And that sort of and, and set him on guard. Well, yeah. I was just about to say on the wagon, he got that natural 20 and he saw the symbol of the copper ring. And then he said, okay, do I know what that is? And then he rolled a like a five or something. So I was <laughs> yeah. like, nope, you don't know what it is. But, and I knew I had to give him something else because a natural 20, you, you just kind of have to give him that thing. So I, I saw that the, the weight, I told him the weight in the cart had depressed, indicating that there was some heavy folk in there. And then as soon as he started to cotton onto that, like my original plan was that Key was supposed to be taken by that wagon and then you guys, the crown killers, would see that wagon coming across and then maybe you would interact with it in that way. But mm. the dice do what they do. They tell the story and I actually think it turned out kind of better than the way that I'd planned it. Like Key actually attempting to get rid of the horses and run down the the, the pathway and, and find you guys. And then it led yeah. to that awesome interaction where you guys actually had to work together in combat. Yeah. See, that's really interesting. Cause that was one question I had for yourself with, especially bringing in new characters to an already existing party, what your, I guess, sort of thought process or how you go about that is, especially with the like Calivor and some of the places they're being so massive, so vast, tying them into each other. Yeah. I guess it, 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 I, I find that that sort of part of it really interesting. And I, I, th I feel like I would probably struggle with it. So I was interested to see how your mind works with creating those sort of interactions and how they would come together. So I've, that's really cool to, to, I guess, find out that it didn't go as how you originally planned mm. it. Yeah, that's really cool. When I originally, because you guys played the first season pretty much with just the three of you, I, I introduced Lullaby Key into the party because he he's good friends with Kyle and myself. And um, I just thought that his, his sort of energy would fit you guys. And he, he's playing something completely different to you guys as well. So it might actually show a different side to the Crown Killers. But in terms of actually pairing you guys story-wise, I kind of started to lay seeds in season one that Delnak was interested in Key and Delnak has a history with Just Sweet. So they have that common mm -hmm. enemy. Yep. And Just Sweet can be a very hard character to, to link with people because Just Sweet is... I, he's actually very hard to predict as a player, Kyle. Like, I don't know which way he's going to go in terms of how he's going to interact with things, but he blows me away every time he does it. And when when Key came in, I knew that I had to make that connection with just we very sort of prevalent and and something that he would want to pursue. Otherwise, he would just, there's no point in him following this party because there's tons of people that come to try to join the Crown Killers. Why would he pick this one up? Hmm. So having um, that moment in the second episode, I believe, where just Sui mentions Delnak speaking to him and Key having that problem as well, that that was immediately like, that was the thing that I was well, like. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Do we just become best friends? Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think the, the, the part that, uh, okay, I guess my, my thoughts were process was going through in that it kind of felt to me like almost two alpha male sort of creatures coming together. Yeah. And it was literally like, who's going to end up on top? So, spoiler alert, like, I was not surprised to find out that they do end up fighting each other, yeah, um, yeah. which was, yeah, yeah, very interesting. It was, it was a great, I guess, dynamic between the two of them. I, I also want to talk about some of the, like, the misunderstandings surrounding Jusui as a character as well, because a lot of people look at him as, like, a, he, he's kind of more layered than, than what people initially see. Like, he's very charismatic, he's, he's a womanizing kind of guy, but he's also got this sense of, loyalty like he took a job from arden for 1200 gold the valiant odyssey blew up a lot of people would be like okay 1200 gold is good i don't have to finish that mission now but just we did something different do you want to comment on that brian just a little aside kind of thing basically yeah one of the other things that i've kind of come across with listening to this just to be like i've never played with that party so mm. but um it's more kind of he seems very 
he's charismatic and open, but he's also very guarded. And I think that's kind of where the, the little kind of, he doesn't quite trust key all the way through. And that's where the, the dramas came in. Like it's just, yeah. he's like, all right, we've got our small group of the crown killers. I trust you guys, everybody else I'll use. I could possibly look at, but I don't know if I fully trust anybody else. Yeah. And I um, think that's a hard barrier to break down. And I think he's built that really, really well as a character in terms yeah. of how he was willing to trust Key to travel together to share yeah. some things around him, but still had that that um, still watching him. The yeah, that complication, time, and yeah. then it obviously came to a head a little bit later on. So yeah. um, I think that was just played brilliantly for that that part of it. But, but even yeah. in terms of fulfilling that deed for Arden and and giving his word and having a contract, like Dragon actually tells him and, and asks and says hey do you really want to do yeah, this yeah like, I, I was looking at it, i was like oh that's okay interesting that he's like and dragon is from the unseen anyway so he's kind of like he's like yeah what side are you going kind of thing that was almost the kind of the what path are you choosing are you choosing the unseen are you choosing kind of possibly siding with delnak yeah or are you choosing are the art in the valley and odyssey path and it's basically yeah you've seen that with a couple of the characters and yeah like well more personally mm. yeah Beargram kind of well, thing you, you mm. got that i was literally gonna say yeah i get that yeah i, I I get that feeling from Bagram where you see almost in like spy movies where is this person like a, what do you, what do you call it? Like a double spy or a triple spy? Yeah, triple triple agent, agent, double agent. Yeah, double yeah. agent, triple agent. Um, triple man, agent. And literally, <laughs> it almost looks like there's left and right is good and evil or yeah, whichever way. Exactly, and yeah. smack bang in the mind and you have no idea which way he's going to go. And I, I really enjoy listening to, yeah. to that unfold. Yeah. Mm. And, and that's the thing. And that's, that's where I was like, oh, kind of by, by playing Bagram and then also kind of hearing this, I was like, oh, kind of it's i i feel your pain choosing that <laughs> yeah exactly and i feel like um Shavi has a lot of loyalties to the unseen as well with his kinship yeah. with dragon uh dragon being like a father figure or orcish adoptee father if you will and um that that choice for you guys i left at the table like you didn't previously tell me what you guys were going to do because i wanted it to be authentic and i wanted you guys to actually have a choice in where your adventure was going to go uh, which makes it hard as a dungeon master to plan because I obviously had a plan for whether you guys would stay in the city, pursue Delmac. I had a plan as to whether you would get captured in that chase. Mm -hmm. I did have a map of a jail though, just in case. And then what would happen after that? And then once you guys decided to sort of leave the city and head in that Megaris route, like there was a couple of times when I would use the character of Dragon to give you guys information about what was happening in the city so you could make a bit mm. more of an informed decision and NPCs as plot devices like that is just bread and butter. Mm. Well, that was, uh, there was one, one example that I know at the time when we're trying to escape the, the city when Jeswee's on his own running away and he comes up to, uh, uh, is it a gnome or dwarf member of the Yeah, it's a dwarf. Unseen. Yeah. And, like, bye. and yeah, Jeswee instantly runs the other way and yeah, in all of our heads, we're thinking collectively S some of the things that we know Aaron is capable of. We have no way of knowing, is this a good thing or a bad thing? And so, yeah, yeah. We, we all to ourselves, we're all thinking this is a huge big brain play doing that. Cause like almost guaranteed we, we had that thought that, you know, if you had have gone with him, would that have actually ended badly? Do, do, do you want to know? Do you want to know? Oh, uh, please. Okay. So yeah, that, that dwarf was, um, an agent. <gasps> Of Delnak. So he made oh, the big brain move. He, wow. was, yeah, if he was going to actually take Jasui and then a possible other quest from you guys leaving this, like instead of you guys leaving the city as you did, it would have been Shavi, Drew, and then eventually Key who came in trying to rescue Jasui from wherever he was at the time. But that was just a whole other sort of oh my, element of yeah, it. So God. big brain. That, that actually, yeah. like, it's almost like a tree when you're looking at an adventure path. And when you give the characters choices, it's like trees branching off. And when he ran away from that, 
dwarf, it was like I chopped that entire branch off, put it to the side. Mm. I'll use that another time with something else. And you guys continued on your way. So I cannot wait for them to hear this. They are going to lose their shit. <laughs> but at the same time, like it's, it was like, even though if, yeah, you, you know, and Aaron, you're kind of thinking, oh, okay, he could put this in our way, but mm. um, it's a very just we thing to do. I and agree. as we were saying, basically with the guard, he's like, he's like, oh, I'm being chased. I'm running from things. I'm going to run from everything. Yeah. But nothing, all, nothing is safe. Also with that as well, even within the unseen, he's a, he's a part of the unseen because he's done contracts and jobs yeah. for it. But, he trusts his boys, like yeah, exactly, and that's it. Mm. And and there was a dialogue between he, him, and Shavi when they were talking about just we saying, "I don't trust anybody here," and and Shavi said, I, "I trust Dragon." And then that word from Shavi was good enough for just we. So mm. I feel like you, Drew, and Shavi hold a lot of sway and influence over him opening himself up to that sort of thing as well. Possibly Shavi more so. I don't think Drew's that intelligent to know who to trust and who not to trust. <laughs> He's very, very giving. <laughs> more, more, The more friends, the better, you know? Yep. 100%. So when you guys began traveling through the forest and that sort of opened up a little bit of time for dialogue in episode two, titled The Fourth Crown Killer, you guys actually started to delve into a little bit of Shavi's backstory. Did you want to comment on that, Brian, with, with Shavi's sort of, realization after fighting the people that were trying to, to get key from the copper ring it, it was interesting kind of to hear that the the whole background of basically kind of losing the family to the copper ring and basically the mm. the, the amount of hate and everything that he has for even just the symbol yeah. let alone the people who are kind of behind it so it, yeah it was, it was it, it's it's kind of good to see some of these um backstories because yeah we've we've got well how many you got 16 14 yeah, of 14 players 14 players and yeah, I, well, sure, we could jump into each other's character sheets and read everything in it, but no, I'm not going to do that. I'm yeah. basically, yeah, I, like, so it's kind of, it's interesting to kind of hear it come out with the podcast, kind of what has brought people together, what has brought them to the different areas. And even, even though, yeah, the Crown Killers, you can tell they've been together for a while, there's definitely something happened with Shavi before that. Yeah, all there's about still secrets his, amongst themselves. Exactly, yeah. yeah, well, which is kind of, yeah, the same thing with, um, was it the dagger? Yeah, so when they brought out the dagger, it's like, oh, yeah. I, I met this, Halfling. He thought it was he, <laughs> he thought it was Shavi, and exactly. that's how they became friends. Yeah, yeah. that and would like, be like a good little if we were a TV show, like a like yeah, yeah, exactly. sort of meeting yeah. and biffing off, and or the um, the the, uh, the, the sepia kind of muted. Yes, kind of, uh, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> video. Yeah, that would be good to do. Show history. Any artists out there that want to draw that, go for it. Somebody do it. Yeah, we need we need some more we need some more um uh, valiant art. Hundred mm, percent. Mm, so, in the first season, we kind of had a little bit of a look at Drew's mum. Thoughts on that, Mister <laughs> Mister Michael? First time that that comes to light, that blew my mind. I I lost my shit. I thought it was the gr- the greatest thing I'd ever heard in my life. It was so funny, so out of left field. I was not expecting anything like that, and uh, it played really well. It was, a, I guess, it was a good almost insight into some of Drew's background or where he's from, and at the same time. Yeah, fit well with the story moving forward of what their what their mission was. So I I really enjoyed it, and I think I think the other crown killers did as well. Getting to just almost it's part of the storyline, it's part of the the mission, but almost a bit lighthearted with some of the other things in in that sort of arc. Yeah, it it was kind of it was, it was interesting, kind of come across it, especially when basically from the very get go, Drew's like introduced as basically kind of like the ugliest person on the planet and yeah. everything like that. But he believes he's beautiful. And then all of a sudden you, you meet the mum 
and it all and like, comes oh, together. Oh, I get <laughs> it. Like, oh, okay. You have a yeah. complex. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. It's like, oh, okay. So, yeah. So, yeah. You're very much isolated uh, character kind of thing. And because, well, grew up in a swamp with the hag, like, That's essentially. It. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's just kind of, and, and, and that all that background there is, is yeah, again, it's, it's kind of, it's like, oh, okay. I get you a bit more. I understand it. So um, towards the later half of episode two, you guys start to travel through some area of land that's definitely been vanquished or, or affected by the territory's war to the west. Now, that's sort of been a backdrop for a lot of the campaign. Uh, what are your feelings about that, guys? I'll leave that open to anyone to, to go for first. Yeah, I think it's really it's really interesting. It opens up for for a lot to um, like a lot of story opportunities for it. So I know possibly Drew's, Drew's probably a bit uh, secluded from it, sort of growing up on his own with his mum. Jess, we might be a good one to ask about it being 300, 400 years old and be interesting to see like, you know, elves in general, do they just sort of, you know, steer clear of like the, the wars of man or are yeah. they, you know, how involved are they? It almost, uh, I guess, kind of worries me. You've got two massive factions trying to, you know, fight for the country with, you know, even some of the things that some of the, the other groups are doing, including the, the Crown Killers, starting to get a bit of a bigger name for themselves. Are they going to be more involved in it later? Is the other of the forces going to all of a sudden, where it's, whether it's Heracles or yeah, the Capitolians, they sort of go, oh, oh these guys like are, are causing trouble. Do we need to do something about it? So mm. we all of a sudden might just be thrown deep end into part of the war as well. Yeah, well, it's a cent- it's a centuries long war that's been going on, and it's sort of seen a push and a shove from both sides. Currently, Heraclesian army is just sort of pushing across the continent of uh, the empire, which is why you guys encountered them later on in this episode, and you guys actually bribed some to to go away from you, uh, the Drake Riders. In that instance, in terms of the elves, the Almirian elves, the high elves that exited the continent long ago and are on their floating platform above. That's where Jasui is from. That's where Morvan is from. That's where Rangar is from. They literally, there are very few high elves in the continent of Kalimvor that come down and we've, we've got three of them, but there's not many that actually come to stay because as you said, they do take no part in that. They're like, this is a conflict over land. Yep. That just seems like for, for, for a race that lives for a thousand years, they're like, this is very this is a petty squabble. So they just literally took their space and left the continent. They lifted it using magic and it, it literally resides in the clouds. So in terms of just we actually having a opinion on the war, I would probably say he's sort of disconnected from it as mm-hmm. well. He would only be affected by it again as if it affected something that he actually yeah. gathered whilst he was here. But mm-hmm. I actually like using the background of the war because it shows that you guys are the main characters of the story, but there is shit going on around yep. you. It sort of expands the place to say, yeah, these things are happening, which may affect the things that you're doing. It makes the world seem that much sort of bigger. Mm, and yep. there are plans in the future for that sort of thing to become more apparent. But when you're a dungeon master and you lay the, the continent as it is to your players at their feet and you say, this is your first adventure and you want them to sort of pick in an open sandbox what they're going to do, it was very possible that some of the group was going to go, okay, I'm, I've got a soldier background and the war is happening. I'm going to go and head that way. Yep. And then the campaign might have gone a different way than what well, it has. There's still even that that possibility as you go with forward kind of thing of um, uh, a different characters being like, oh, you know what? I'm actually going to use this to my advantage and kind of really kind of like just speak into this army to kind of sort this part out so that I can kind of do my thing over here or kind of use them to my advantage. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it, yeah, it, and even actually, I'm not sure if some of the um, Cadmian Guard kind of thing, if some of them kind of have a side to pick, but you, we see a lot of uh, Melnon and a few of the other Griffin Riders and some of the other Guard coming through and helping out different ways. And I'm sure they probably have a side to a certain extent yeah. that they're kind of maybe not actively fighting with or, or against, mm-hmm. but basically that they kind of definitely sympathize for. Yeah, well, well, Cadmia sort of sits in the middle because they were Capital's biggest ally. And then when Capital fell at the very, like a couple of years before the start of this actual campaign, they actually were on the precipice of deciding, okay, are we the new head of the empire? Are we going to take on Heracles and push them back? That's a lot of resources. Or are we going to find something else? And that sort of brings itself into light a little bit later on uh, in the series as well. In terms of where Cadmia sits as a whole, there's obviously going to be people within that agree oppose it's just a whole sort of cultural dynamic there all right any final thoughts on the first two episodes um i actually just have one question there basically Mm -hmm. at the very beginning when we actually are introduced to uh key and basically kind of when he's well getting punched in the face by the trolls Mm -hmm. did did you have a like a plan for basically if he was captured like he he escaped it was a, a beautiful escape did you have a way of a plan for him being captured but then also he didn't have like a crown killer group or another group around him that would be kind of be like, oh, we're going to risk everything to rescue you. Yep. What was kind of, what was your, okay, your thoughts so, going forward from so, there? So with that, um, I fully planned for Key to be captured. Like there are two half ogres there. Yeah. And like it was a three on one fight. Oh, wait, yeah, it was and, crazy. And again, this is one of those times where it's like the dice do what the dice do. And he had a very high acrobatics and I knew that in, the, in planning the encounter, but also like half ogres, they have a lot of strength. So I knew it was going to be a grapple contest. That was just going to be where the dice sat. And if he did get captured, he would have been taken into the cart. He would have been taken north because he was, as it revealed in the episode, he was going to get sold in Eid. Mm-hmm. But on the way, they may have stopped along the road. And then any other slaves that they sort of found along the road, they would be in. And it would kind of, I kind of pictured a scene that was similar to like uh, Bilbo and the dwarves with the troll. Like you guys as the crown killers would sneak up on that. Shavi would see the symbol and the slaves. Yep. And then he would... Most likely, like you can never fully tell, but most likely he would attempt to act on that and see what the fuck was going on. And in the actual experience of him breaking those guys out, they would meet Key. Yeah, okay. So that was that was the alternative. So kind of relying on basically kind of yeah, Shavi's hate for the yeah. um the copper ring and basically again the symbol and everything it represented. Yeah. yeah. So then instead of him having the connection with just Sui as the Delnak backstory, the first thing that I had planned after he was captured was to have that connection with Shavi over Shavi hating slaves, Key obviously not wanting to be one. Mm. There was that mutual sort of goal there. And that's kind of the key to binding party members I've found is, is finding that mutual goal in the tidbits of the backstory that they give you. Yep. So the players are like, okay, my character does this. Your character does this. Did we just become best friends, as you said before? <laughs> so it then sort of hopefully becomes easy for them to integrate a story together that seems legitimate and not like, hey, what a great coincidence. We're here together <laughs> at the same time. You've been plopped in the same story as us. So yeah, my brain is not a, a storytelling brain often. And, and kind of, I, I love, I love watching and reading books. Like I've, I've been reading books since forever kind of thing. So I love reading stories, but as far as, writing and scripting and planning and it, it just my brain doesn't work that way so yeah. basically kind of seeing your your thoughts and basically the way you kind of like maneuver things to make it work but also at the same time allow that freedom and then have a secondary plan and tertiary and fourth and fifth yeah and 800th plan kind of thing 
um, it, it's actually, it's, it's quite an impressive kind of thing. Yeah. And so I, I kind I, of yeah. like to build the story around the players and characters' relationships and everything else around that is just tertiary. Like it could have been the copper ring or it could have been something named something else. Yeah. But because there was that connection, like knowing your players, knowing the backstory, asking the questions as a dungeon master is important. And if you've got a player that is, is like a little bit reluctant to give you stuff, just take what they've given you and then through the game, they will actually develop the backstory that they want or yeah. they'll dive into the things that they want to dive into and then eventually they'll, they'll sort of ask you, hey, what's the go with this? And they might expand the backstory then. So it's just like reading your players and doing it that way. So I like you give me a lot of props for it, but I'm like one half of the storytelling machine. You guys are the other half. So without the prompts. Yeah, that's fair. But put yeah. It, you know, it's, it's it's just really good to kind of yeah watch like good dungeon masters kind of no oh, with yeah. the, with with their art and it's just it is art it is brilliant. <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I would almost say it's it's probably not fifty. I wouldn't say it's fifty fifty because one of the questions I had is with we all play one character, so we have one mindset, one train of thought with those characters. I had a qu- like my my question for you, I guess, is around you can go from say Dragon, who's like a father figure to Shavi, so you have to role play that then too another random NPC who's just has wants no affiliation or wants to kill them. <laughs> Drew's and, mom. And, yeah, and yeah exactly, <laughs> things like that. So yeah, uh, can you give even a bit, just a bit of a background about your thought process with, with those kind of characters? Oh man, it was, it was hard for me at the start because when I'd develop an NPC, you'd find that a lot of the personalities kind of mold into one another, but it's kind of like, it's, comes a lot from people watching and watching movies and seeing different characters develop where they develop and, and thinking to yourselves about their inner monologue. And it's kind of something that happens in my brain as we're going along. I'm, I've, I always set a set of values when I've, I'm doing an NPC. So I'll set their traits, I'll set their flaws, and I'll set their bonds just like a character would. And I'll always have them them up or in my brain, or if I've played them for a few times, I don't, I don't really need to anymore. And there are some personality traits that are associated with a couple of the different flaws or bonds, for example. Like mm-hmm. Dragon is... One of his traits is he's loyal to Shavi no matter what. Uh, and then one of his flaws that you find out, I think, in season one is that he's a heavy gambler. And at one point, perhaps that loyalty to Shavi and that level of that tendency to gamble may come into conflict for him. How would he feel about that? He might feel guilty. So I kind of dive into these characters a little bit just by going through what their personality might be. But in terms of switching quickly, I don't know. It's like a, it's like something in my my, it's cool. like I, yeah. I close a scene or something like that and that's all gone and something else comes into my brain and we'll just that's huh, good. go I, ahead with that. I guess with a lot of the, I guess the groups, there's probably only one at a time almost that you have to sort of deal with like that. I really enjoy listening to Rengar and their groups one because you've got Braxton and you've got Ren at the yeah. same time and almost they're in the same room a lot or next to each other, which I think I find really funny. I'd almost be tempted to throw it out there to... If I was in that situation, get one of those guys to almost try and set up something between just Braxton and Ren. <laughs> just, to see, yeah. just, just to yeah, yeah. give you the shits. That'd That's be funny. That's the DM nightmare is actually <laughs> having four players around you watching you role play a one-man show between two NPCs. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely... But the thing with those two characters, Ren and Braxton, they are, they're very opposite. So it becomes easy to switch between the two with Ren being quite a but an innocent young boy and Braxton being a wise and sort of ranger soldier kind of figure. So I also liked, we'll talk about it later with in another episode of tales, but um, Braxton sort of exhibiting that softer side as well. So I, I like the way that characters can impact other characters and change their personality. So 
And sometimes that doesn't happen. Like there is characters that are stalwart in their resolve. Like as much as you try, you'll probably never get Delnak to be your friend. <laughs> yeah. So that's like the biggest persuasion role in the world will probably not even not even in change that. A, a question for you guys then, just to close us off. What character in the show would you like to play alongside that isn't in your group? Ooh. Or because Brian, you've actually played with quite a few. Yeah. Who would you like to play with again? I want to play with um, Felix Halrod. <laughs> oh, damn. You had to go there. I did. Uh, no, actually, it was it started out playing with uh, Micah and um, Josh at, at, like, at the very beginning at the start of the season one. It was, that was a good group to play with kind of thing. So I definitely enjoy playing with, with those two, with basically both jo- Josh and Michael. They're both really good role players too. They yeah. actually uh, came from another group that I was uh, dungeon mastering. So Michael was pretty new. Michael, who plays Micah, was pretty new to Dungeons and Dragons as well. And he kind of learned a lot of what he does off of Josh. Because mm. Josh is just, he, he's played for as long as I have. So he's very good at what he yeah. does. Very, very crafted, you might say. Oh, that, that's, a, that's a tough question for me because I, I, I don't necessarily think about the, play, the, the characters as much. I think more about the players. And there's a couple mm. of the guys there that I would really, really like to, to play with. I've had some random one shots with these guys outside of the Valiant Odyssey. But yeah, I think Michael would be fun to play with. I like his thought process with uh, his characters. I've also, um, R- Rob playing Rengar would be another fun mm. one. I think he is definitely a very logical, which is almost maybe something I'd like to do better at. So I think playing with him would be, would be good. That might help me in that aspect. Mm. So that'd be fun. I love watching Rob play Rengar because he is very, as you say, logical. And most of the time, you know how I say I lay those choices out in front of players. Most of the time he, he will go for the, the most likely logical option for Rengar, but sometimes he will throw me and it comes up at the end of this, this second season. He will throw me an absolute curveball and everybody's jaws hit the table. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's to come, but I won't spoil it, but he's, He's also become a very good and nuanced player in terms of how he's approaching Rengar. So, because it, I think it becomes very easy to play a soldier as very one-dimensional. When he moves through a situation, he'll logically analyze it, and I feel like that comes from his soldier background, and he plays that into the character really well. So, I agree. Playing with Rob is great. Yeah, no, I like that. Yeah, like your, yourself, Michael, and basically your brother Matthew and Rob and the other guys like I played with them outside kind of thing mm. not in character with our Valley and Odyssey characters and oh it's been great fun playing with them so it, yeah, yeah. I, I could just imagine how much fun it would be at the table as well yeah. kind of thing with these. we've actually sort of we've actually created sort of like a, a bit of a guild of people now that just have this love of the game but we've become friends outside of it as well uh, which has been really good for us because you guys actually all came from different walks of my life yeah, and I've just put you all in a room <laughs> together so I was like there were some people I played football with like Lullaby and Kyle and then I've gamed with you before, uh, Michael, and and we have some mutual friends and we have the same profession, Brian. We played Frisbee together, all that kind of thing. And nobody had ever actually met. So for me, when I started this, I was like, will this work? Fuck it, let's try. <laughs> so I was just like, I put people together and see, saw how it went. And that was the, that, this is the result. So didn't even know D&D existed until probably two years ago. And then ever since it was actually Brett and uh, Rob that introduced me to my first game. And since that, w- within five minutes of ending our first one shot, my brother and I were online trying to buy dice. Like it was yeah. nuts. And now yeah. I first put my hand up for it, for anything D and D related. I-, I like the point you raised with uh, 
Rengar, how he almost has like a character growth throughout some of the arcs. That wasn't something I'd actually thought about originally when, you know, creating Drew or even like, you know, bringing a character to Vayu Odyssey. It's almost something that's come through a little bit in the sort of later seasons. Yeah, I, I enjoy that, that they have a, almost an initial sort of, this is the type of person they are but there is room for growth. So I didn't originally plan that for, for Drew, but I, I really enjoy seeing it with some of the other groups and characters as well. With that being said, guys, thank you for tuning in to the first episode of Tales from the Taproom. We're going to do this do it once a month. And I got both of my words in, and I don't know if you guys got any yours. Did you get any? Uh, Cap Street did a must. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't count. <laughs> oh. okay. ding, so ding. Can I take a crack at what yours were? Yes. Aforementioned and stereoscopic. Stereoscopic, yes, aforementioned. No? no. Okay. No. Yeah, the other one was um, volatation. Yeah, wow. Volatation yeah, means I, in flight. I was waiting. I, was, I yeah, had I, in my I head how it was going to come up. I had cincy putt, yeah. which is forehead, and taponosis. <laughs> Man, you could not have <laughs> snuck them in. No, no way. Like, I was, like, I was like, oh, I might have been able to get Didymus in when we're talking about basically yeah. uh, the, the twin or the Paris kind of things, just we and key, but I was mm. like, Cap is straight. I was like, hooded or wearing a cowl. I'm like, what? I think yeah. I would have picked up if you said that, but I would. Yeah. I probably wouldn't have picked up if you said Didymus. So. Yeah. Yeah, I probably wouldn't either because you're a very intelligent dude. Your vocabulary is like, fair <laughs> enough. So I guess I win today. The Valiant Odyssey board has me on the top. There we go. <laughs> you, so get next to, you get time, to buy your own reward. <laughs> I know. That's the best kind. Next time next time we play, it'll be either the same game or a different game with, with new guests, guys. And I just want to thank you guys for all your patronage because this show is happening because of our amazing patrons thank you very much and that is the end of tales from the tap room <laughs>